0: You're listening to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. Tune in each week to learn how we can all make inclusive marketing the industry standard. Welcome and welcome back to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am your host, Joanne Boyce. And today I am joined by Liz Mosley. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> I always like to check. Even when I'm confident, I'm like, no, still check. Yeah. <laughs> Some names mean things. Anywho, I met Liz at a conference where we were both speaking and liz you spoke about the your no challenge yeah your rejection challenge and i
1: yeah.
0: absolutely was inspired i was just like yes i want everyone to say no to me now and then i checked <laughs> them out
1: <laughs> i am um, i love that though because you like told me exactly what you were going to go and like get rejected from like as soon as i got to the back to our table and i was like yes this is so good
0: <laughs> like yeah uh Okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna ask everyone for everything.
1: Yeah,
0: think is I like what happened with you. People just started saying yes, and it kind of
1: annoyed me. (laughs) You were like, "Oh, this is rude. Why are you saying yes to me? You should say no." I know, but then you just need to go bigger. If everyone's saying yes, go bigger.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. While I contemplate what bigger is, please let our audience know a little bit about you and your background.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I am a graphic designer that's what I trained as um in recent years I have been specializing in branding for small businesses mainly because I while I was working in house um mm-hmm. somewhere I set up my own stationery business basically so that I could design stuff that I liked that wasn't to anybody else's like brand or anything like that you know I could just do be creative for the fun of it and it was kind of like a hobby business on the side but it really sort of like catapulted me into that small business world you know lots of like craft fairs and meeting lots of other makers and I just realized that I really loved that sort of community that group of people Uh, so eventually after having two kids I sort of realized I needed to effectively pick one of my businesses either I go down the sort of like self-employed services route or I really go all in on the product-based business so I dropped the product-based business went all in on the services but because I loved that sort of community so much and just felt really sort of passionate about supporting them. Um, I That was kind of like my target audience was small businesses. So I've been doing that for the last sort of seven-ish years now, basically since leaving my full-time job. Um, like I've been doing it mixed in with having kids. So it's sort of been, it's ebbed and flowed as to how much time I've had to work on it. But the last three years I've been really able to like focus on it, um, which has been amazing and it's been nice to see it grow. Um, but then I also do a bunch of other stuff as well, because i am definitely what people would call a like multi hyphener or I like, you know, I like all different things. So I've got a podcast as well called Building Your Brand. Um, you know. And uh, run some courses Which I'm sure Yeah we'll talk about At some point But yeah Running courses uh, For small businesses Who aren't really At the point Where they can outsource Their branding So they Mm -hmm. want to like Learn how to do it themselves um yeah that's the main those are the sort of main things that I'm working and on hosts for Adobe
0: one of the biggest yes. so, in the world.
1: yeah, yeah so I do I've got like an ongoing collaboration uh, where I do a bunch of work for Adobe so I've like hosted for them on Adobe Live I'm an Adobe Express ambassador um and yeah a bunch of other jobs behind the scenes for them that are less visible <laughs> but still really fun <laughs>
0: it's like how are you gonna leave the name drop you know more american with our our name dropping
1: i know we do i need to put it on my website somewhere i don't think it's even on there yet
0: Mm -hmm. and i because i'm a a linkedin fanatic please make a company page for your self-employed self on linkedin okay
1: I will. I see, I'm not a LinkedIn. I'm I'm getting there. I'm slowly exploring LinkedIn. Okay, I will do that. I'll make a company page.
0: LinkedIn is where the professional fun happens.
1: Yeah, that is true. I made my first group the other day, which I was quite excited about.
0: The groups are interesting. Some of them are really, really good and you get a lot of engagement. And then some mm. of them turn into spam quite quickly. But... Yeah,
1: it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. It's an
0: experiment for sure. Perfect place to experiment. <laughs> but you mentioned, so small business is such an interesting demographic to serve because when it comes to branding, when it comes to marketing, they are the ones who, like you said, need it, but normally can't afford it. Yeah. And I, you're one of the few designers that self-employed that I've seen have a course teaching people how to do it themselves. And I even saw it, it mentioned that you teach them how to use Canva. And normally when I mention Canva to designers, it's like I stab them in the heart. They're like, how dare you? And I'm like, but... It's what people are most likely going to use. And...
1: Uh, I really struggle. Yeah, I struggle with this a lot because, and actually, like, I had a lot of when I started putting my course together, I had mm-hmm. literal sleepless nights about it because I stressed so much about what other designers in the design industry would think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a coach at the time who, like, I was, re- I happened to just have coaching as I was looking launching this course and I really needed it because she sort of like gave me she helped me keep going because I nearly gave up so many times and it's like a big that the branding one in particular is is a big course it's like a 12-week course um it took a lot like I had to scale back on client work to get it like completed like it was a lot of work to put it together but my I my philosophy on it is just different like I understand why as a designer you Uh wouldn't use canva well i don't actually i think like so as in i think you can still as a designer i still use well i use adobe express which is like the adobe's um, equivalent because it comes as part of my creative cloud you know i've already got it the premium version um and i really and i'm an adobe express ambassador so obviously i would use that but you know it's 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 a sort of similar premise where it's like a much easier entry design tool that the idea is that everyone can use. Um, and I sometimes I don't need all of the tools there. I just need to make a quick social media post. I don't need like hundreds and hundreds of options of things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes it's just like easier for me to quickly put something together. You know, I can do it on my phone because I've got the app, you know, that kind of thing. So I do use it, but I it's not what I would use all the time. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a nice little added extra for me rather than my main design tool. But mm-hmm. I I make um, templates, social media templates for all of my branding clients because there's no point me making branding for them that they're then not able to use. Yeah. And so I don't have a... I think those tools are great. Like, yeah, if you're a branding designer and that's what you're using design logos on, that is... Like that is good. You're going to come up against like problems at some point. Like, there are limits to what it can do. <laughs> But you can get by, you can do enough on there to create something that is good. And I just, I just hate the snobbery of it. Like I hate the whole, oh, if you use this, like there's so many um, posts on social media being like, if you use Canva, you're not a proper designer. And I'm just like, it's a tool. It's the tool is not what makes you a designer, like your experience and your like knowledge of like the principles of design and what, you know, makes a design functional and what doesn't, that's what makes you a designer It's not the actual tool. Um, you know, if you're a good designer, you'll be able to design something that looks good in Canva or Adobe Express. You know, Uh you just won't have as many like options as to tools that you can use within it. And so, yeah, so I just, it winds me up to be honest. And I, and I do keep thinking about doing, sort of counteractive content on my social media but I haven't plucked up the guts yet because it's always right. it's always a bit um I Start know it's gonna wall. like yeah basically. I know it's gonna be like dropping a little grenade in there and then like right I'll probably run away I'll get to
0: drunk. be honest they're probably all worried about AI at the moment so they might not even
1: notice yeah <laughs> true yeah that's true maybe now's a good time no one will be stressed about
0: it will all be like, oh, yeah, go ahead, use Canva. Um, <laughs> as long as you don't use AI, the, yeah. I think that's going to be the shift. Yes, use it. Um, no, no, just don't use AI. Um, yeah. Speaking of AI, I'm curious to know, um, how is that impacting your, do you see it helping small businesses? Are they even aware they can use it for design stuff? Or these are the ones that are still like, what is what is design? What is branding?
1: Yeah, I think most or most of the people who would like take my course probably aren't at the point where they would be using AI in design, like in design tools. So like, for example, I use, you know, like Photoshop, Illustrator, um, InDesign, you know, like they're all bringing in a lot of AI tools within the programs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them I think are like, absolutely incredible tools that have saved me so much time because they're taking away the jobs that are painfully boring that I had to do in the past so those ones excite me where it's like I can it's still my creative vision Mm -hmm. um and I can get to my end result quicker because I'm not having to spend hours like cutting out a you know the outline of a person so that I can change the background because I literally like I've been signing for quite a long time I used to spend hours doing that sort of thing and now you know I can do it at a press of a button and that is amazing um you know like I do I make quite a lot of content so like I use Premiere Pro some of the AI updates in Premiere Pro are just like phenomenal like I love them but then there's other things where I think it's gonna get it's gonna get a bit murky um so There's, you know, there's the sort of feature where you can upload something that you've designed and then you can use prompts to create things in a similar style. Mm -hmm. And I understand the benefit of it for some people, but I also think it's going to be really abused because obviously I can just upload anyone's work um, and do it in that style. So I think that's where things Yeah, that's where I get less excited about it because I'm like, actually, this the creative stuff is the bit I enjoy. And Uh so I have no interest in using a robot to do it for me because I enjoy doing it. And so I want to do it. So yeah, take away the jobs that I don't enjoy um, and leave me the jobs that I do enjoy. So that's kind of where I personally sit with AI at the moment. I think it will be useful for small businesses for sure. I think the... um, The sort of like text, you know, like the chat GPT kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. I think is going to be very, or already is very useful for small businesses. If they, I think the mistake that people are making or that I'm seeing people make is that they're forgetting to not use it a hundred percent. So I've got a friend who's built an AI app. It's absolutely amazing. And it's, and it's for small businesses basically to create their like marketing funnel And her advice is always, you know, let AI take you 70% of the way, but then you need to spend at least 30%, you know, like updating it and editing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. making sure that it like sounds like you. Um, But I'm seeing a lot of people just copying, pasting straight out of ChatGPT and it's just it's just not sounding good um and so i think that's where small businesses are going to have to be careful you know like don't let it be a tool that you just give over your content to 100% like let it be a tool that saves you loads of time uh-huh. but that you still add your flair of creativity to it i don't yeah i mean you will you've got so much more experience than me but that's kind I'm of where i sit on it is okay because-
0: yeah. I think what you and what you're saying as well is that they still they still need the fundamentals in order to really get the benefits from it. Because whatever they try and get from it is going to be the same as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think teaching people the fundamentals of design is never going to go away.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, like, AI is nowhere near the point of being able to, um, you know, like. It can make a logo, but it can't make one that has like a story behind it or has meaning behind it or like really understands, you know, like the context, the competition, the like industry that it sits Mm, in, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's still, it's not really at that point. I mean, I hope it doesn't get to that point because obviously, (laughs) because I think, you know, I want like, I like create, I went to a conference recently at uh, Adobe Max in LA and it was just Mm -hmm. really interesting because... All of the features that they announced were AI um, based, but all of the talks that I went to and the keynotes were so much about creativity and the human experience and basically how creativity impacts and helps us as we navigate things as humans. And it was really interesting having that sort of stark contrast, you know, like next to each other. Mm. Um, and I think yeah, I think it would be sad to lose that because I think creativity is such a huge part in, like, it does a huge, it has a huge role in helping us process our emotions and process what we're, our lived experiences and what we're going through. Um, and it's a way of expressing ourselves. You know, it, it has been that since like, you know, caveman days where they were like drawing on rocks, you know, like it's always been the case. And I just think, we would really lose out if we lost that.
0: Definitely agree, and I think something you mentioned about logos really stuck with me because I don't know if it was Pepsi, somebody did a logo redesign, and they spent millions as they do in agencies and design agencies, and it was like the shift of a line. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, AI wouldn't do that. AI would redesign the whole thing. But yeah. when they did the whole kind of drawing and the the depth of the concept of it, I was like, this makes it smoother.
1: Yeah.
0: I cracked up because I'm not a designer. I'm just like, you paid two million for the movie.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, the... The numbers are, are wild. I mean, it's a different playing field because obviously I work with small businesses, so those numbers are just like mind blowing to me. Um, probably for like those huge companies, you know, like it's a, it's like a drop in the ocean, and it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's just what you, what you pay. But I think what I would say about that is, and I think this is one of the things that people struggle with with branding in general. Uh-huh. And it's why I don't criticize. I I try really hard not to criticize designs online, even if I don't like them, because you don't know what the journey that's taken them to that final outcome because mm-hmm. i mean i think you can i think there's some instances where it is right to criticize for example if the design is like harmful you know causing harm or uh-huh. you know like there's something problematic about it but if it's just like a taste thing and i'm like oh i wouldn't have done it you know i wouldn't have picked that color or i wouldn't have done uh-huh. it that way then i would tend not to because you don't know like what the pushback from the client was or what the process you know what their process was what was the parameters that they were made to work within like you don't have all of that story in that context you're just seeing the final thing where a slight there's been a slight change in the line like you don't know what the original brief was and I think you know part of it is possibly as designers we're not that great I don't think at communicating the value and the impact that design has and mm-hmm. how some small tweaks can actually like have a big impact and change things and so you just see that small tweak and you're just like that's just such a waste of money and maybe it is you know like I think that sometimes no, yeah I, I can <laughs> say as a non-designer
0: the shift <laughs> of the line way. it was it they could have just stayed
1: yeah they could have just sometimes I understand.
0: Like when it's color related, I'm like, okay, saturation, you have to think about how is it going to print versus how it looks digital. Mm. I understand, but the move of a line was just, you know. Too Um, much. (laughs) But something you mentioned, what, so when there is controversy about it being offensive or problematic or basically just non-inclusive, how does that play out in the design world? Have you seen that much? Because obviously on my end, I see the extreme cases I see where illustrators are super lazy and they make like the front and the back of a black person's hand, the same shade. Yes. Um, so yeah. I how, think,
1: how does I it play think out? you see it less in branding mm-hmm. just because it's like, it's like, I think illustrations are slightly different ball game. I think I have seen people walk it. I have seen companies like walk it back you know where they've done something and actually the response is just like so negative that it's not you know it, it's better for them to go back to what they had um I think that the, like it's a kind of like a running joke amongst designers is um the fear that you are going to design an icon or something that is going to have like a visual Um, like someone's going to recognize something visual in it that you didn't intend. So for example, a swastika, a penis, you know, that sort of thing that you're not, you're not intending to create that, but you've like done this stylistic design and you didn't look at it from all angles. And then actually, if you tilt it, you know, however many degrees this way, oh my goodness, there's a swastika. So like, I think that, um, that is one that you see quite a lot is where it wasn't at all intended for a design to have a motif in it. But, um, then someone points out um, something not great. And, you know, sometimes it's not something offensive and it's just something funny and not ideal. and they'll just, they'll just sort of ride it out. Um, but sometimes I think it is something that is gonna like genuinely upset people and they change it, which I think they should., um, but yeah,
0: they will it's interesting because then, I guess it depends on what stage it gets noticed and how yeah. much it can change. Because recently I was in Orlando's in Florida, right? Yes. Yeah. I was in Florida and they have the shape of the state on a lot of their highway signs and so forth, something we don't really have here. We don't have like the shape of Bristol on yeah. the sign. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it would just be such a weird shape. <laughs> it? it would just be like a, a squat. It would be like no
1: a... one would know what it was. It's not like we are all familiar with the shape of Bristol.
0: But I over the the I spent about four days there. Over the time of that, I got familiar with the shape and I once I saw something, I couldn't unsee it. The shape of Florida is the shape of a gun.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Once you see it, you can't that unsee it. And that is the thing. Like I feel like I don't really want to go into the details of what people thought it was, but it was the same with the um the Olympic logo. People saw something quite rude in that. And once you saw it, you could never unsee it people can oh go gosh. and like google I it need to, i need I to google to. it because
0: now i'm just like the only things that come into mind is because it's the olympic logo is circles
1: oh not that olympic logo it was oh. like what it's like that you know they how they do um you know like a bespoke one with the year for each um like each olympics what was year like, was it? people can i think I think it was the London, I think it was the 2012. I need to go and check, but there was one of them where I'll um I'll show I'll tell you about it after people can go and Google. I don't want to be responsible for describing it on your podcast.
0: There's so many layers. I think the worst I have ever seen, and I was I was at an event, and this I was at an event and this person was describing the power of branding. And at the end of the slide, um, they were saying how, you know, designers need to be mindful when they're using different fonts. And had a bunch of different fonts that were meant to say something but said something else. And then there was a scripted font. I was the only black person in the room that was meant to say pizza, but it said the N word. No. And they put that up and people were chuckling and I'm just like, huh, you yeah. thought that was okay. And it was one of those ones where I do wonder how like designers can show things, like, cause it's such a you have to see it because it's such a tangible thing Mm. to understand the faux pas, but how you do it and how you go about it. And like, and then I it got me really curious to know like what is the conversation when you're teaching people about designing things to take things into mind, like. Is that even a thing? Like, when you were at um, London Design School? No.
1: LSE.
0: LSE, yeah. Was there any conversation around cultural considerations when designing things and creating things?
1: Um, Not loads, in the sense that um, there was, like, very... So I was working in the design team There was very clear brand guidelines So there was actually like a lot of limits On what you can do You know, there was like limits on what colours I could use What fonts I could use You know, all that kind of thing There definitely was um, There was consideration of that mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like a lot of people look at things Before they go out I'm sure like mistakes would have been made Um But yeah, I think it is one, well, I think it's interesting thinking about it in like a real life context and then thinking about it in an educational content. And like, because the sort of example you saw, that was almost like in an educational setting, wasn't it? You know, like they weren't saying, they were saying, look, this is what happens if you pick the wrong font. And you'll see like a lot of examples online of, um... So bad kerning, so you know like the space between the letters, if you get that wrong, the word can end up saying something very different um, from what you intended it to So for example, like if you had um, a C and an L, oh no, not a C and an L, like if you had two letters too close together, they would effectively make a different letter um, I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to think of an actual real example now and I can't, but yeah, basically, or, you know, like if you put like a gap too big between two letters, it, it makes the word two different, two different words, words yeah. that could be like rude. So that, So that's often like shown as an example where designs, you know, like really gone wrong and it's turned into something rude that the person didn't intend. But I think there has, there does need to be. You know, like, I guess what's problematic about your example is that there was no consideration for like who was in the room and the fact mm. that they would be offended by the example. Um, and that it's completely unnecessary, like, that did not need there was there's loads of ways to demonstrate that point. Um, that isn't a rude that's racially offense, a word that's racially offensive. So, I think that you know, that is something that we need to take into account in our education, like how we teach people.
0: Sorry, you said it's called kerning when the word, the letters are too...
1: Okay. So that's the space between the space between. The, the letters in the word. Yeah.
0: See, this is where speaking to a designer and Canva helps because Canva just calls that spacing and you can either yeah. space it up or space it sideways. And that's all yeah. I knew, but now I know kerning. Yay. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's loads of like terminology like that, that um. But then, yeah, like if you're pitching your product to non-designers, mm. it doesn't. It makes sense for you to make it. You know, if someone, if they put into Canva kerning, you would eventually worked out what it was because you would have just like slid the slider around. But actually, you're going to get there a lot quicker if they put spaces because, yeah. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the terminology in design um, comes from. When they set type, you know, for a uh, letterpress, so like okay. uh, the space between lines is like leading. So that's like to do with the sort of like lead blocks that they would have put between the the let the like oh, I'm not explaining it well, but between yeah, but the, like, like, the le- like the blocks, literal yeah, literal blocks, a, physical things. Yeah. So a lot of them <laughs> come from stuff like that, but then there's like other there's other terms, and this this is something that I haven't really looked into as to how problematic it is and it's something that I should look into because I ever since I spoke to you I keep saying things and then suddenly being like hang on where does that come from and is it problematic which is actually is I'm really grateful for because it's really good but like so for People example drive you crazy. <laughs> I know it will drive you crazy but also but also it's interesting and I have like really consciously changed some of the things that I say because I'm like why am I saying it like that just because it's all always been said like that it doesn't need to be said like that but like one of the ones um another terminology in design is uh, there's a few different options but if you mm-hmm. have a, a paragraph and then you have one word on its own at the mm-hmm. end of the paragraph on the last line so that's generally for designers that's like a no-no like you don't want to have that one word and it's called well some people call it a widow or some people call it an orphan and yeah. like, that's actually quite like a motive, you know, so like, I'll say that and not think anything of it because, you know, my art director is going to know exactly what I mean. You know, like, that's just the term. She's like, you know, make sure you get rid of all the widows. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, it is like a bit, so, it, a bit jarring, really. Like, why does that have to be the term? And I'm sure that it will have come from like years and years ago and it's just mm-hmm. like left over. And actually it would probably be better to... <laughs>
0: Even the just, I'm trying to think of like where could it have come from, and if we take it back to like the 1800s, widows and orphans were not unfortunately beneficial to society. Yeah,
1: yeah, they would. Yeah, exactly. And I think so, that is. So I think that it is highly likely that it is has a problematic like connotation from way back, but that we're all just still using it because we haven't really bothered to question like why. Um, yeah.
0: Hmm, that could be a mini mission but then anything I can think of off the top of my head right now is just as bad because then you're teetering into um mental health a little bit because so I was like mm. oh make sure you remove all the loners and so like, yeah, oh. yeah
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah yeah but then you do kind of need a phrase because saying the one word on the last line that's on its own that's just too much of a mouthful do you know what I mean <laughs> like you need to come up with a term for it but yeah Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. But then it's like, how do you get a whole industry to like change their terminology so that everybody's on the same page and knows what the thing is? But then I think, you know, like tools like Canva and Adobe Express, where they're actually just putting in descriptors like spacing. This Mm. is the spacing. This is the spacing between lines. You know, like actually that just makes it more accessible for everybody. I think often these terms make design feel like this like exclusive club that if you mm-hmm. don't know the correct terminology you're not you part be. of it yeah and that feels doesn't feel great either
0: and I feel like it can also be a barrier to when because speaking about accessibility but when you're working with a client or a person you're trying to make something suitable for them if you're having to translate everything they say in their everyday mm. back to it, and if you suddenly drop a word that is not accessible, that can create an emotional divide to the person you're trying to get, understand what their user experience is mm. because you're trying to design for them.
1: And I think I would never use those words with like a client. I like I would literally, if I was in a design team, I would use those words because I'd know that they would know what I was on about. I wouldn't use those words with a client because they wouldn't know what I meant. But I think there's a temptation as designers to use them to almost like in a kind of like I know more than you kind of way. And I get the desire to do that because you want to prove that you um have knowledge beyond what that they, you know, the knowledge that they have, beyond Canva and beyond Adobe Express, that you yeah. have you have that training and you have that knowledge. But I think you're right. Like I sometimes I just think it's it is um like no, what's the word not I'm trying to the opposite of it, inclusive it's, yeah, it's, it's excluding it's people yeah. yeah it's like and it's almost like educational snobbery I don't know what I, yeah. you know where you're just kind of like you're using terminology in a way unnecessarily just to sort of almost like hold your knowledge over someone I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking it but that no, it I think it's like valid. That.
0: Yeah. I think it definitely is valid because the whole aspect and the way I understand design is translating the things that people cannot and, and adding visual representation. I've, there's so many situations because my background, I started in social media marketing, so I had to learn design and copy at the same time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but just for social. So yeah. the context is very different. You're thinking tiny, you're thinking small. Every spacing is different. And mm. it's, I only understood how niche my understanding of design was when I tried to design a website. And I was just like, this looks ugly. I don't know. I, I, can't, I don't know why. Mm. I could feel it, yeah. but I didn't have the way to describe it. And when I had a designer actually designed a website, I was just like, oh, there's there's so many layers to it. And that's what made me appreciate it from mm. a marketeer's perspective. Um, yeah. But I think from a person in the general public aspect, they get the feelings, but they don't know they're getting it. They don't know that. They the can't re- explain
1: it. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. It. The
0: and I they think, like it is the colour or the spacing or something.
1: I think that is one valid criticism of Canva, is that it, it makes everybody think that they are a designer and Canva isn't what makes you a designer. Like You know, that works both ways. You know, like Canva is a tool. So if you use it as a designer that's fine because Canva is not what makes you a designer, but it also works the other way. Like just because you have Canva and you can create things that look decent in it, that doesn't make you a designer either. And But it's until you sort of come up against something that you can't do or you can't articulate that you then appreciate the skills that a designer has. And I, and I think that is why it makes designers feel insecure or mm. makes them feel um like they need to sort of bad mouth it because yeah I think it I think sometimes it makes people overconfident about their abilities and what they can do um and like even what services they can offer to people so yeah I mean as always it's very layered and it's not like a it's not like a clear right or wrong it's so layered it's so layered
0: even when I think about um how inclusivity works. And, and I think when we first met, we spoke about inclusive design and how when I dove into inclusive design and saw that it's been going for so, such a long time, people have been talking about it since architecture and then the color contrast thing. Mm. Like there's so many layers to it that coincide with the principles of design that I realized I couldn't learn one without the other. I couldn't learn inclusive design without learning the principles of design.
1: Yeah. Because
0: mm. colour contrast goes into colour theory, which goes into, you know, all these other things. Mm. And it's just fascinating how many layers there are, but to someone on the other end, they're just like, oh, that's just the logo. And it's like, uh, no, it's not.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm curious to know, have you seen anything on your internet, especially since we've spoken, where you're just like, ah, that was not inclusive or problematic or very inclusive in the design world? Any... Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things that sort of stand out to me. I think one of the big ones is when people... So I I posted this TikTok once that got like a lot of hate. Okay. <laughs> Which was about... It was about inclusivity when it comes to websites. So we actually have like a legal requirement to try mm-hmm. and make our websites as accessible as possible. Now, it's not something that's heavily policed in the sense that there's not like a perfect solution. So it's not like you tick a list of of boxes and your website is accessible. Um, So it's not like, oh, you've gone beyond to put like a certain point, we're going to get in touch with you. But there is like, as business owners, there is... Or yeah, as someone with a website, there is sort of like this mandate to try and make it as accessible as possible. Anyway, people kicked off in the comments about this in my TikTok. But some companies, some big companies, so it's not going to impact you as a small business, probably. But that's not to say that you shouldn't do it. But some big companies have got into trouble because their website was not usable for a group of people. So I think it's something that's important to think about. One of the things that I see a lot is where people prioritize the aesthetic over the functionality of the website. And this is an age old design, creative problem, you know, form over function. And what I see people doing is DIYing their website, which is a totally valid thing to do. You can absolutely do it. You know, there's loads of tools that have made that possible for you, Mm -hmm. but basically people don't know how to code. And so they can't get the elements that they want in the right place, or maybe they can't get the font that they want, or they can't get the text that they want. And so what they do is put it all in an image. So they'll like make it how they want it to look in Canva. And then they'll upload that as an image to their website. And it'll look nice. And if you have no visual impairment, you'll probably be able to read it fine. But if you do have a visual impairment and you're using a screen reader, your screen reader cannot read what the text you've put in an image. And so that is hugely inaccessible. And it's where you're prioritizing how your website looks over, whether someone can actually use it. And so in my mind, that is like a huge no-no. Like I've seen it again with like, um, it might not even be a sort of, design motive per se but like an illustrator for example who does hand lettering and so obviously they want their website to like reflect their style and so they'll write a load of content or they'll write their headers you know that in their hand lettered style Mm -hmm. and again it's like well there's a whole chunk of your website that someone who's visually impaired can't read and it's going to massively diminish their experience of using your website and so in those instances like either go away and learn how to make your own font of your handwriting, and then that will work fine, or just accept that you're going to have to sacrifice a bit of the aesthetic that you want. Um, Because, and ultimately, like, for design in particular, it's all about communication. It's all Mm -hmm. about communicating as effectively as possible. You know, like, design is putting text colors images illustrations putting those things together is like creating order out of chaos so that that information is easier for people to consume and understand and if you like if you're prioritizing it looking pretty over people actually being able to consume that content effectively it's gonna damn it it's it's bad for you because they're just gonna get frustrated and like jog on and it's also bad for them because they don't feel you know like included in the content that you're creating so that's one of them another one that is one of my biggest bugbears and I um I've done quite a lot of posts about this not recently so I'm going to do another one but is center aligned text so people love to center align large amounts of copy because to them it looks aesthetically pleasing because it's balanced so it's Yeah. But what it means is it's really hard to read because your brain needs all the lines lined up so that you can find the next one really quickly. If your eyes are having to jump around to find the next line like that's we don't realize it, but it's a lot more work for our brains. But what I realized is that if I get an email, I realized this years ago, I get an email and the whole thing is center aligned. I just give up. I look at it and I just think, "Oh, this is this is exhausting." And I don't. I just don't read it. So again, like you've prioritised the aesthetic, and actually, you're going to have loads of people. And this actually is anybody. It's not people. It's not someone who's got a visual impairment. This is just. This is it's, bad it's for like everybody. reading. It's reading. <laughs> yeah. re- yeah. There's a
0: reason um, we have all been trained to interact with the internet a certain way. And I remember when someone wanted to put some they wanted to put their logo on the right hand side of their website in the banner, and I said no. Yeah. Like, why? And I'm like, because people haven't there's certain things that we just do. And if you're without thinking. If you're breaking up that flow, you're causing people to have an icky feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it and it like it causes friction. And that friction, you know, like it's all subconscious, but there's only so much friction that we'll tolerate. And it's actually a very low amount. And so if, and this is why websites people get really frustrated about this, but this is why websites often look very similar. They have a very similar layout because exactly for that reason, you know, we expect the contact button to be in the top right because that is like the sort of first place that our eyes stop because we start top left, we go across and then we tend to zigzag down. So like, that's why that button's there. The logo is in the top left because that's the first, that's where our eyes start. So we see what the business is. So we know who's like giving us this information. And so there's all this kind of like, I mean, this is this is sort of UX design, isn't it? You know, it's user experience, and it's like how or UI. I get confused between the two. I think it's, I think it's a bit of both because UX is yeah. understanding, and then UI is. Like how you actually do it. Yeah, exactly. Sorry to
0: UX UI
1: people for that. Yeah. Well. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, so actually like there, there are certain best practices when it comes to website design. And again, people get upset about this because they're like, well, I want my website to be like really different and I want it to have things like flashing across and I want it to have this and that. And it's like, well, you can do those things, but it's not necessarily going to work that well for you maybe you'll win an award for it but will people actually enjoy using it or be able to get the information that they need so I think there's always this tension but those those are sort of like a few examples of things that I see people doing quite a lot that I'm like oh that like drive me crazy the
0: little things that are just like actually just don't just
1: yeah. yeah. And then colour contrast is another obvious one. So like, yeah, we that that's again and that and again that's like prioritizing aesthetics. So it's like you've got this color palette and you're like determined to use these colors together, but they're really like the contrast isn't high enough. And people can't read what you're saying. Like the number of talks I've been to where someone's used white text on a yellow background or yellow text on a white background. And I'm like, oh someone please explain the like basics of
0: this. What I realize is like that one and then pink and white. Oh yeah, interesting. I'm just like, why? And it's not it's not Barbie pink, everyone. It's like that pastel pink. Yeah. I was about to call it baby yeah. pink, and I'm like, why is it called baby pink? But anyways.
1: Yeah, that's, one, that's another one. I feel like I'm basically, as we talk, I'm making a mental list of phrases to go and explore. It's
0: like, should it still be called baby pink and baby blue? Or is it just not neither anymore? Because that's gendering. Is it gendering? Or is that? Okay, nope. Stop. Yeah, this yeah. This is the rabbit hole I could Let's, have.
1: Um, uh, but let I want to find out what you discover about that. <laughs> but so that's radical. the thing isn't it? But I think and this is why you said at the beginning that it'll like drive you crazy because you were talking about you know like now you're so attuned now to question everything that you say and why we say it. And I think once your eyes are open to that there's so many things that we say that you're just like where did that come from and why am I saying?
0: <laughs> there's so many things, there's so many layers because then when you well all my algorithms are crafted now to show me things that are really good or really bad. So when okay. I see Things that are really bad now, and I'm just like, okay, that's just too obvious. Mm. Like, they put rainbow in the background, or they, they they've just done something that I know is not acceptable. Or I see things that are really good, uh, but good in an unusual way. Mm. Like I saw recently, it was more illustration and illustr—I don't know if it's illustration, but illustration design. I think I mentioned about how a lot of the times when I see mess ups in illustration in the, that design world, it's all about skin tone and how yeah. They draw Black people. Mm-hmm. But the really good one I saw was on TikTok, a woman who designs cookies in the shapes of heads and faces mm. and stuff like that. And I hadn't paid attention to the hands. I was just watching the design because she got all the skin tones right, different shaded Black women. She was using cookie icing to do the texture of Black hair. Mm. And this is something that the gaming industry, the design industry, the illustration industry... Are still trying to figure out the bare yeah. minimum, the bare minimum of how to do not even like locks, which is what I have, but just curly black hair, the texture, yeah. And she managed to do it on a cookie. Yeah. And I watched this video three, four times, and I realized halfway, like the halfway through the third time, oh, the woman's hands who's doing this is white. And then I went to the comments, and everyone was just so appreciative because they went and looked at her other work and was like, "You put the same amount of effort that you did illustrating." and white individuals on cookies, as you did Black people, like, they saw that the effort was put in, and it wasn't mm. just a, oh, because was like 2020 yeah, everyone yeah. was just like, I'm just going to chuck, I'm just going to chuck some shading in. Well, I'm yeah, just going to yeah, yeah. make this person brown. It's like, yeah. no, it doesn't work.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's interesting when you see that level of effort put in for those things, mm. um, but it unfortunately it is rare.
1: Yeah and I think like one of the things that really strikes me from our conversation is I and this is something that I've definitely felt as well is that I think people listen to this sort of thing and feel overwhelmed and they're like well I can't get it all right straight away like especially with like the accessibility on website that's I think that's why people get really wound up about it because they feel like well I'm going to make a mistake but I think and this is why you're not going to get in trouble with the police it's it's having the intention it's the trying and it's mm-hmm. the it's the being willing to learn and you don't have to get it right immediately, but like, keep improving it keep and, keep, and yeah. keep learning. You know, like I am nowhere near an expert on, um, like creating inclusive websites, but I'm like picking up new things all the time. And I'm like, okay, I can see how that's going to cause a problem. So now in my process, I'm going to update that one thing, but it hasn't stopped me from like starting. And I think, I think that's the thing, but I think it's so encouraging isn't it where you see those good examples Mm -hmm. because then you'll and I think a lot of it is just that effort it's like being willing to put in a bit more effort than you would normally to get it right or she might not even have got it right but the fact is that she went and did some research and she put you could see that she put the effort in even if it wasn't perfect
0: because people forget the the moment you become aware that something isn't inclusive doesn't mean you're going to be an expert in it, like you said, but you also Mm. forget how long it took you to get to where you are on the things you normally do. Mm. Like, you are now having to rethink, okay, if I had always did colour contrast in this way and this is how I've built websites for the past 30 years, you're having to relearn all of that and make those steps to improve Mm. it. And I think it's like any skill, if you don't keep practising, and what frustrates me sometimes is a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm picking out the illustrators, but they're the easiest examples, unfortunately. <laughs> they do one thing, they get some negative comments, and then they, they and don't, then they it don't
1: do it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I think the nice thing, when, if you are doing websites and design for clients and branding, there's always another. There's yeah. always another website. There's always another client. And if you're working in-house for a company, just put in a ticket for it to get, like... it it's always getting updated. Every company, Mm. every large organisation I know is always looking to update some part
1: of their website or some. So just... Because it's actually good. It's actually good for your SEO, for your website to be up to date. And I think, yeah, so actually it's not like you design it and then that's it. It's done and you never do anything to it. Yeah, totally. And that's... And like, I think this is an area where AI is really exciting because Mm -hmm. there's loads of tools now that actually like help with that. So for example, um... I mean, this isn't, I don't think this is AI, but there's like plenty of websites where you can put in your hex codes for the colors on your website and it's going to give you a score as to how legible they're going to be. I mean, that's a really easy, quick thing to do. Or I saw, um, I think this probably is AI or I don't know, actually, I don't know, but there's like a tool. So in Adobe Express, they have these plugins and I saw Mm -hmm. one the other day where you basically you put the plugin in and then um, it assesses your it basically shows you what your design is going to look like to someone who's colorblind so it's it's like flagging up if there's like issues for someone who's colorblind and so now there's more and more tools and I think they'll get even more savvy and it'll almost be like you run your design through something and it's going to like highlight the problems for you you know what in terms of accessibility and that's going to be really that is that's that's the sort of tools I get really excited about because I'm like that's that is really helpful
0: yeah there's tons out there and the one thing I would go back to on your point on AI is make sure you check it because there are tools out there now where you can put in your image and it write the alt text for you okay but everyone knows I harp on AI is not good at understanding different skin tones yeah so check that alt text do not just copy and paste do yeah. not just take it and run with it.
1: Um, and and I think that's where that philosophy of seventy thirty for AI is helpful because it's like use AI as a tool, but don't let it be the definitive final answer. You know, in the same way that like I had a friend who asked gpt a bunch of questions that he knew the answers to and it just confidently lied to him. And, you know, like and it was so confident about it. Um, and so I think that's it. It's like we're almost like having you know, in the same way that we kind of had to learn how to search things on the internet, we're now having to learn how to process the information that AI gives us mm-hmm. and have, I guess that, yeah, that wisdom to know what to check and yeah, I think, yeah.
0: I want to check it. I am curious to know if every small business owner becomes slightly AI competent, how that will affect the relationships of um you know when you're doing brand development with them and you're giving them stuff and you're saying hey what's your thoughts on this are Mm. they gonna come back one day and be like well I wanted something closer to this and send you like a chat GPT illustration of something yeah that's the bit that it's not they know because it's two things for me sometimes when you ask a client or someone who wants you to design something what they want they can't describe it Mm. So I see it being helpful in the sense of, here's a bunch of variations of the literal words you said, because sometimes that's the other bit, where they say, Mm. I want it to be like a sky blue, and you do something that, because sky blue is so many types of blue, but the literal words, and they're like, actually, no. Is it going to help conversation, or is it going to harm conversation? Is my curiosity.
1: Yeah, and I think that is the thing that's a bit scary about all this, is that we don't really know what the implications are gonna be yet. And my suspicion is, is that it's gonna help a bit and it's gonna harm a bit, you know, like it's gonna be good and bad. Um, I think people don't often realize that being able to sort of express your thoughts about creative concepts or designs, like, like a lot of people don't know how to articulate what is in their head when it comes mm. to design? Mm. Like that, I think, is a skill. You know, like how do you articulate a feeling that you want to, you know, how do you then represent a feeling in design? um And so I think it will help people with that because they can, you know, maybe create a prompt with words that they're more familiar with and then they can p- tweak it until they get something they want. But I think what we are going to see is things looking more and more like each other and I think the, I mean I wouldn't be surprised if um in the design industry for example you know in the same way that vinyl has became super popular you know mm. I think we're going to see a resurgence of traditional techniques and very like hand created mm-hmm. and that that's going to be a selling point um, I mean, I don't think that's happened Ooh. yet, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, if like Letter... Like Letter Press had already had quite a bit of a resurgence. It'll be interesting to see if that sort of happens again. Would you ever
0: rebrand your packages with the label Human Made?
1: Um, I don't think I would because I do... Like I can't create branding without a computer. I could I could create it without AI, definitely. Yeah, so
0: without AI is human made, isn't that okay. In a in a future yeah. world,
1: yeah. Do you think you? I be, guess yeah. I would. I would. Yeah, I would consider it, and I think that might become appealing to people, especially if they've got concerns about copyright issues. I mean, the big thing at the moment in branding, for example, is if I create you a logo with AI, you can't copyright it. You know, you can't uh, trademark it. Sorry, like you can't be sure that someone else is not going to come out with something very similar or you haven't got a legal leg to stand on if they do. So I think that's it's going to be interesting to see how that develops because I think there are going to be lots of like copyright issues. I think there's going to be lots of authenticity issues. So like a big one that I saw the other day was um, people creating... AI generated images of the like Gaza Palestine like the the conflict in Palestine and it's like yeah they it states that they're AI but not everyone reads the small print and that's a real that is for news like news corporations in particular like that's really problematic and something that they're like really aware of um because it's not an accurate reflection of what's like actually happening i mean it's such a minefield isn't it there's so i mean i would definitely i would definitely consider using a label like that i think the thing that would put me off is not feeling confident that people understood what i meant
0: mm. um but it might become the trend it, it, yes i'm thinking in a year or two's time that might be the thing where people start think- differentiating
1: yeah. I think we will start to see that. And I think, you know, we'll start to see like copywriters, you know, reassuring people that they're not using AI and that you are getting like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think that could be where it goes. Human
0: made. Oh, it sounds yeah. Anyways, sounds <laughs> <laughs> On that future aspect, it's been lovely having you here in the present <laughs> um, and having you on the podcast. Please let our audience know where they can find you on the internet.
1: Cool. I'm, um, on Instagram. I'm at Liz M Mosley. Uh, my podcast is called building your brand. Um, and my website is LizMosley.net.
0: Sweet. Absolutely. <laughs> fantastic. We'll pop all those links in the show notes. Thank you for joining me on a marketing made inclusive podcast. And if you're listening, you have a favor to
1: ask, subscribe, you know, hit just do it. It makes Do a it. huge difference. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> and leave a review. Leave a review Leave as well.
0: a review. <laughs> yeah. I I'll ask ask. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I know. Maybe. I feel it's really, it's really like uncomfortable because I feel like I ask all the time, but it does. I'll ask on your behalf because it makes a huge difference. Leave her a review
0: <laughs> wherever you're listening. Leave yeah. a review for the podcast and subscribe and share. Share with the designers you know. Let's let's start that design war. You know,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure people will disagree with me. You know, like yeah, it's it's such a complex conversation. But I think it's I think this is what I'm excited about. What I love chatting to you about is that I think it's. they're the conversations that we need to start having and like you have opened my eyes to things and now I'm looking at things differently and I think that's you know like I'm there's so many things I'm messing up but that's just only a positive thing Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing it from a new perspective
0: Mm -hmm. the more mistakes you make the more you can learn in life and yeah I enjoy being proven wrong it's like thing but then that also implies I always think I'm right but anyway let's not go down that <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a whole other rabbit hole. whole other whole other podcast theme that's psychology <laughs> let's let's <leave laughs> one of them. but thank you so much for joining me on the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast my name is Joanne Boyce you can find me all over the internet at Joanne Boyce that's J-O-Y-A-N-N-B-O-Y-C-E and tune in next week where we will continue to explore all things inclusive marketing.